following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. What gets measured gets done. And uh, it's, it's kind of the idea that if you measure something, you give it attention and value, and that tends to be the things that get worked on and produced. Uh, and I was reading uh, a business consultant who was talking about this principle, uh, doing some consulting at a, with an airline, and they were in the midst of meetings consulting about this very principle. And they get, uh, one of the airline executives said, yeah, just watch as this plane pulls up. And sure enough, here comes this big um, passenger plane, and uh, the luggage baggage handlers are like they're about to ready to start a race, you know. And this guy's really kind of caught by how eager these guys are. And before the plane even gets barely parked, these guys dash out to the plane, throw the door open, jump into the plane, grab one bag, race with it all the way to the baggage carousel, slam it down, and go, oh, yeah. And the guy goes, hmm, I guess you're measuring the first bag to the terminal. Yep. The guy meanders back to the plane, and they leisurely unload the rest of the bags. So the guy's, okay, we, we, we need to make a change. We're going to measure the last bag. Okay, the, the last bag you have the plane, at which all the guys went on strike because the last bag was actually somewhere in Moscow, <laughs> you know, never to be found. So they made some adjustments. They got that worked out and, and kind of came up with a compromise. He said, the great thing is now we get the bags unloaded super fast. The sad thing is our baggage damage claims have jumped <laughs> off the charts. Uh, so that's kind of how it works, you know. The things that we reward highlight, measure, are the things that tend to get focused on and done. Um, and so as we look today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, 27 through 4, 8. Uh, and in this passage, Paul contrasts faith and works. Right? And let me uh, start by reading through the passage. And I want to kind of as we go through, highlight the first few verses. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law or principle of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. Uh, so, so Paul's putting up before everybody two principles. One is works, and the other is faith. Uh, works in, in, in accordance with complying to the standard of the law versus faith, which is accepting by grace God's free gift. And I, I want to just think this morning a little bit. Uh, this is not new. We all know we are saved by faith, right? Uh, we all know we can't work our way into salvation. And yet I wonder if we were honest, if we really thought about our life and our organizations and our ministries and our churches, what do we measure? Right? What do we measure? Do we measure faith or do we measure works? Right? Think about that. And let's, uh, let's kind of look through this and see how, uh, how Paul talks about this. Uh, I know this. Whatever we say we, we measure, whatever we say we value, the truth is what, what oftentimes we want or like or naturally and easily measure is works, right? Because it's easy. It's really quite easy and it's quite natural and it's quite part of what's wired into us as human beings. I can guarantee in the business world where this phrase, you know, what gets measured gets done, originated, they could care less about faith or grace, Right? They want to know how fast you can get that piece of luggage off the airplane and into the terminal. And I'm all for those guys, believe me. I'm, I'm behind them 100%. Um, the world runs on the system of rewarding getting things done. Right? And largely, uh, it's, it's easy to incorporate that into our Christian life as well. And it's interesting, uh, Paul says in, in verse 27 and 20, he says, What becomes of our boasting? Uh, literally, uh, it's uh, what is where then is our boasting? Where, 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 what do we have to boast in, to brag about? Uh, it is boasting. He says is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Uh, this idea of boasting really has the idea of reveling in the glory of our accomplishments. Okay. And Paul says, where is our boasting? Uh, and if we're honest, and, and this morning I'm going to ask you all to be really super honest, okay? What do you revel and glory in, right? Well, I honestly revel and glory in the things I've accomplished. I feel good, and I feel some measure of satisfaction in the things that I've done, and especially the things I've done well. Um, it's easier... Uh, because it is oftentimes very measurable and very concrete. Uh, it gives me a great sense of accomplishment and pride, and I can compare it with others. Right? So I can look what I've done, and I can look at what you've done, and I can compare, and I can really judge if I'm a better person than you. Right? Look what I've done. What have you done? What do you got to show? Right? And uh, I can feel good about myself based on what I've done, what I have accomplished. Uh, and, and there is some sense in which there is a rightful pride in human achievement. I don't think Paul is saying here that it's a sin or wrong to feel good about accomplishing something. And humanly speaking, it is part of life and it is a good thing and it is a value. God values work. Uh, he's not, Paul's here not calling us to a life of sloth and laziness. Uh, and so there's a sense in which there is the need for human accomplishment. In fact, this morning we're going to honor the graduates. 
Okay, and there's a sense in which we're proud of what they have accomplished, and hopefully they are too. I mean, this is a 12-year deal, 12 years, you know. Uh, and they finally come to a point of, of, of completing their 12 years' worth of coursework to get this piece of paper that affirms they have, they've done it. They have earned this diploma, right? And usually the diplomas say something like, uh, I'm going to pick on Michaela Williams, has satisfactorily completed the requirements of study as prescribed by the Board of Education in accordance with the Department of Education, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what the diplomas actually say that you, know, you guys will get, but something like that. It's the idea that you earned this, right? You worked hard for it and you earned it. And so this morning we, we do take pride in that accomplishment. Uh, and I think, it's, I think it's a little ironic that, uh, for example, Grace International School has grace in the name, and, and uh, um, conceivably it's because they want it to be a value at the school, which is a good thing. But interestingly, when it comes to graduating and getting your diploma, it's never a matter of grace, right? <laughs> the school doesn't say, well, we know you didn't pass any classes, and we know you've been lazy and kind of worthless and you're stupid, but we want to give you a diploma anyway, right? <laughs> Uh, can they do that? No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work that way, right? And, and there's some sense in which the piece of paper has value because it's honoring this human achievement, right? So there's a sense in which this is not all bad. And, and it's not wrong for us to take a certain amount of joy or satisfaction in completing something. And this past week, in fact, I was thinking about graduation. And I was feeling a little, honestly, jealous and envious of seniors who actually get to finish something. And I was thinking, when was the last time I actually finished something? (laughs) And it was a long time, a long time. Uh, We need that. You know, we need that encouragement. And and so it's a good thing. Uh, And and it it is easy for us to measure on a human level. Uh, when we look at accomplishments, works, efforts, uh, we can measure it because it's visible, right? It's visible. So this past week was a futsal tournament, and uh, lots of students participated, played, played futsal. And it's kind of a black and white thing. The team that wins the most games is the champion, right? There's no, there's no obscurity in that. If you won more games, if you beat all the other teams, you're the champion, uh, undisputed. And so it's real black and white. It's real tangible. It's real solid. Uh, and, of course, if you beat all the other teams, you can glory in that, right? We're better than you are, right? And it makes you feel good. Maybe it doesn't make the other team feel so good, but it makes you feel good. Well, Paul says that in the, realm of, in the spiritual realm, uh, it doesn't work anymore, right? Uh, and, he, again, he's not, he's not trying to put down or blast, uh, honoring those who accomplish great things. But he's saying, look, when it comes to the spiritual realm, when you stand before God, when it comes to your own spiritual worth or merit before God, there is no place for boasting. In other words, you know, you can get a diploma from uh, CMIS or GIS or one of the other schools that says you have successfully accomplished and achieved, met the requirements. But spiritually, he says, that can never be. No one can ever stand before God and say, God, I have a right to salvation because I have fulfilled completely all the requirements that your righteous glory demands. No one can do that. And so he says in the spiritual realm, there is no boasting. None. 
Right? He says it is barred. It is it's like the door is slammed shut on boasting. It says it can't enter the room. There is no glorying before God in our own achievements, our own efforts, our own merit to gain salvation. It can't come that way. It can't come through keeping the law. It can only come through the way of faith. Right? It can only become as we receive uh, God's gift through faith. Uh, he goes on and he talks a little bit in, in, in chapter chapter 4 really is a commentary on verses 25 through um, 31 of chapter 3. So he kind of states a thesis and then he really goes through and uses the life of Abraham to illustrate. Today we're just going to look at the first part of that. And he starts with the life of Abraham and he talks about this issue of boasting. right? And this is what he says uh, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? In other words, he's the, the natural father of the Jews and the spiritual father of all who believe. What did Abraham find out? What did he discover? What did he hit on as he lived out his life? And he asked a question. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Right? Um, but not before God. Interesting phrase. And um, the, what's very interesting about this, and, and as Paul writes this, the context of all this is that Paul is really going after the Jews. Um, and he's really trying to show that their concept of salvation was seriously flawed because they, they honestly believed that they could achieve salvation through works, that they could do this by being good enough. Right? And so that's really who he's trying to dismantle is the thinking of the Jews. And the Jews actually believed that Abraham was the perfect example of this. They believed that Abraham was their father, not only because he was the progenitor of all the race, but because he had lived such a righteous and perfect life that he had actually accomplished this, that he had earned or achieved salvation by his righteousness. Uh, and a little bit later, Paul actually quotes from Genesis chapter 15, where it says Abraham uh, was, was, was credited with righteousness through, through faith, right? Well, the Jews even took that and said faith in itself was a work that gained him merit, right? And Paul is really attacking this idea here. And he is saying, uh, no, Abraham did not gain favor with God through his good works. And the ironic thing is, if you actually read the story of Abraham, uh, you can't, it's, it's mind-boggling where the Jews come up with this idea. And this is the guy who sold his wife to the to king of Abimelech twice, right? Um, uh, to protect his own hide. Not exactly what I would call the supremacy of righteousness, right? The highest level or standard of goodness. Um, but that was kind of their theology. What's interesting in all of this, though, is we, you know, we know Abraham sinned. He was fallen. He did not keep the law, uh, which, by the way, he didn't have the law. Uh, he lived several hundred years before Moses and the law was given. But what's interesting, Paul says this. Uh, if, if he could have kept the law perfectly, that would be something to brag about. That would be something, humanly speaking, to say, hey, look what I did. I am a good dude, right? But could he boast that before God? Right? Well, it raises an interesting theological problem for the Jews. Because for the Jews to boast before God was blasphemous, right? To come before God and say, God, you should look what I have done. You will be so impressed. <laughs> okay, it's to make very much of ourselves and very little of God, right? 
Um, have you ever played this game? Uh, well, I know you all have. We've all played this game. My story tops your story, right? You're in a discussion, fishing, hunting, I don't know, whatever it is. You know, oh yeah, well that's nothing. You should have seen when I, right? Uh, in this group, I, my favorite story, you want to you know, start to play this game, play the My Travel Adventure Story game, right? Well, one time, you know, I got delayed for three weeks and we sat on the tarmac and our plane circled the globe 17 times. Oh yeah, well that's nothing. There was a time we had to go to the moon first. And, um, you know, we've played that game. Uh, uh, outdoing somebody's story, right? Can you play this game with God? Can you say, can you say to God, hey God, I'm graduating from high school with a 4.0. I bet you're pretty impressed. I wish you were as smart as me. <laughs> right? Uh, hey God, uh, you know, science, uh, modern man would say, could say, hey God, we figured out how to read the genetic code and modify genetics to produce all kinds of super strains of animals and crops. I'll bet you wish you were that smart. I'll bet you wish you could read the genetic code, right? Yeah, right. Uh, hey, God, we've walked on the moon. I'll bet you wish you could travel through space like us, right? It's ludicrous, isn't it? It's ludicrous. We've gone the tiny little space between Earth and the moon. God has traveled through the light years of space continually, always, everywhere present, with every molecule in the universe, all simultaneously at the same time, throughout all time and space. Okay, it makes our little accomplishments trifling, right? Insignificant, right? Uh, whatever we have accomplished on earth, even on the human plane, before God is nothing to boast about, right? Nothing. And God, God will never say, well, Einstein, you know, I can't believe you figured that out. I've been, I've been wrestling with that one for, for millions of years. I just, I couldn't... Your, your math just exceeds me, right? Never. Never, right? Uh, and so we have no boast before God uh, on any grounds, but especially on moral grounds, on the grounds of righteousness, right? Could we ever say, um, God, I have become such a good person. I have been so pure and morally upright. I, like Abraham, have done everything so good that certainly I can boast before you that I am such a good person. Paul says, uh, clearly, all have sinned and, and what? Are falling short of the glory of God. Right? There's no human being anywhere. And here's the deal. Even if Abraham could have, which he didn't, but even if he could have lived an absolutely perfect life, humanly speaking, even that, would it compare to the glory of God? No, because God's glory is infinite. He is infinite in his perfections. And of course, no human compares. Uh, we cannot say, hey God, I have given up everything to follow you and be a missionary in a foreign land and I have been a good person and I have rescued hundreds of trafficked children. Aren't you impressed with me? Okay. We can't ever say that and impress and think that we will impress God. Right? But the question is, how much do we do that? By how we measure things, right? By how we count our goodness before men and before God. 
And you see, it's so easy, even as believers, what we do is we know that we are saved by grace alone. We know that we cannot work to gain our salvation. But how many times do we do this? We know that once we've got our salvation, now we've got to work to prove we are worth it. Work to demonstrate we are good enough. Work in our own strength to be good enough to be worthy of God's love and grace. Okay, see, we have flip-flopped exactly what Paul said we cannot do. He said it is by faith alone. It is by faith alone, not by works. Not by what you do. The only thing that counts with God is faith. And and he says it uh, several ways. He says, um, there is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Right? In chapter chapter 3, verse 30. Uh, the scriptures tell us, 4.3, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Right? Uh, verse 6, uh, verse 5, but people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Um, only by faith. So, if it is by faith alone that we not only obtain salvation, but really live and walk in it, and by the way, the word that he uses over the, over again there, he uses the word to count it. It's counted towards you as righteousness. Is the word reckoning in the old King James? It's reckoned to you, and it's a word that really is a banking term, and it has the idea of crediting something to your account. It's the picture of the uh, the uh, unrighteous steward who owed the king, you know, millions of dollars. Right? Remember in the parables of Jesus, and the king does what? Well, he clears out his debt. In other words, he credits everything that was owed back to his balance to bring his balance to zero. He counted it to him. He credited it to him. Uh, We gain merit. We gain favor. We gain right standing with God because God takes our huge debt of sin and he credits to that negative balance the righteousness of Christ. So he brings our balance to a zero balance. We are debt free. We don't owe anything. And he uses that term over and over in, in chapter 4. It is credited to us. How do we get this credit? Well, not by anything we can ever do, only by receiving it through faith. So faith becomes for the believer huge, right? Huge. It is everything to us. What, what the law was to the Jews, now faith is to us. We must believe in God. And as uh, Averill reminded me last week, this kind of faith is more than just uh, simply mental assent. Somebody saying, well, yeah, I think that's probably true. Right? It's a kind of faith that goes to the deepest part of our being where we uh, put f- the full weight of trust and confidence that God is going to do what he said. Right? Even faith itself does not have merit. Faith is not a good work that we do that God says, oh, well, because you believe me, I will count that as a good deed. Faith is simply the avenue by which we receive God's gift. God has done it all through Christ. He wants to credit fully to our account a positive balance, and all we have to do is believe that he will do what he promised. Uh, Abraham is a great example of this. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you. And Abraham simply believed it was true. Now, because he believed it was true, he did do certain things, right? There was certain response in faith to what God said. 
So if, if, if Abraham had never left his home and gone to Canaan, uh, his faith would not have been genuine. But the reason he went was not to prove his worth to God. It was to pursue what God had promised in faith. So how can we measure faith? Uh, hopefully I got the point across. We shouldn't be measuring our works, right? We've got to be very careful about that. Uh, and we probably need to take some serious steps back away from uh, a lot of our measurements that tend to be works-based. Right? And uh, later on in Romans, Paul will talk about the place of obedience, of service, and we'll talk about it a little at the end of this message. But a lot of that can be quite easily misdirected. So if we're going to make what, what measures counts, if we're going to, you know, what measures is what gets done, uh, what can we do to make faith more significant in our life? Uh, well, let me give you a quick four, four things, and we're just going to highlight these real briefly. Um, first of all, we measure faith by our attitude towards others. Our attitude towards others. And Paul says this in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 3. He says, Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Now this, you, know, you read through this and you go, okay, Paul, I don't get this. What, is, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, Paul's actually using a very interesting argument against the Jews. Uh, if you're a Jew living in Jesus' day, what's the number one thing you believe to be true about God? Me. God is one, right? God is one. That was the hallmark of their theology uh, from Deuteronomy 6, right? The Lord our God is one, right? Well, Paul, said, Paul uses this doctrine against them. He says, okay, if God is one, how can he be God of only the Jews? So there's only one God. He's got to be God of everybody, right? We can't have the God of the Jews and then somebody else who's the God of the Gentiles. He kind of tricks them. Pretty genius arguing, actually. He says, God is one. Therefore, God must be God of Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, God must provide a way of salvation that's equally accessible by both Jews and Gentiles, circumcised and uncircumcised. Right? And that's his logic, which would have uh, you know, been a problem for Jews. We already know this. Uh, what's the point? The point is this. The Jews could not claim they were better than anybody else. Right? If we come to Christ through faith, not by works, not by our goodness, not by our effort or our achievements. If we come only by faith, then guess what? The ground we walk on is level before the cross. Every human being has absolute equality before the cross. Uh, here's a, a self-test. How do you feel about people who are different than you? How do you feel about people who have different religious views than you? How do you feel about people who are from different cultural backgrounds or different economic status? How do you feel about somebody like me who lives in endure poverty with, with uh, HIV AIDS? Right? Do you feel like, well, I feel pity for her. I'm glad I'm better than her. Right? Well, that kind of thinking comes from law, not from faith. If, you're fa if, you, if you come to God by faith, you go, man, I praise God because I know I could be just like that. I am no different. Okay, an Islam cleric who's uh, telling people to bomb every major city in the world okay, is no different than me before Christ. We are all before the cross equally lost in sin. Right? And I can't look and go, man, I'm so glad 
I'm not like them. Right? The easiest thing in the world is to bash other people. Right? So easy. It takes no intelligence. Uh, we can't do that if we live by faith. Because we recognize that what we have, we have completely by grace. Totally undeserved. Right? So that's the first thing to measure. What is our attitude towards other people? Second thing, measuring faith by our attitude towards God's law. Right? He says this, he says in verse 31 um, of chapter 3, uh, can... Uh, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. This is interesting. Uh, when it comes down to it, the Jews really did not uphold and honor the law very well. Right? And here's the problem. If you believe your salvation depends on keeping the law perfectly, right, you have a problem because the standards of the law are quite high. So in order for you to accomplish this, you know what you need to do? You need to downgrade the law to a level you can achieve. You need to rewrite the law code. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus was constantly confronting these spiritual people, these Jews who thought they were so good, by confronting them with their own law. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, the guy comes and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, keep the law. And he says, I have. I'm in. But I'm not sure. Are you sure about this? And Jesus says, well, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Oh, well, who, who, who is my neighbor? <laughs> Can I pick? Right? And Jesus says, no, you can't pick. Right? You can't pick. See, they were, they were rewriting the law code to make it possible. Right? Uh, similar story uh, with the rich young ruler who thought he kept the law. And Jesus said, great, perfect. Just go sell everything and give to the poor and you're in. <laughs> uh, okay, maybe not. Right? The great thing is when, when, when you live by grace, uh, and, and the, the doctrine behind this is that Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly in himself and it's credited to us. Okay, did you know that every one of you here through faith, you are perfectly fulfilling and accomplishing the law through Christ. Uh, And that's grace, right? That's grace. Uh, When that's true, we we can embrace the law to its deepest core meaning, right? Because we know it's not about me fulfilling it perfectly. It's me striving toward it, but it will only be accomplished through faith as God works that in me, right? So I can know, you know, uh, unlike the, the people of the law, Oh, yeah, I, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, yeah, what about all the adultery you commit in your, in your head all the time, right? They couldn't face that. We can, because we can say, you know, God, honestly, I've never committed adultery, but sometimes my thought life is not honoring to you. But because I'm under grace, I can seek your forgiveness and your healing. I can embrace all of the law and bring its healing, washing, cleansing power through Christ into my life, right? So we can, we can be honest about the full extent of the law. We can embrace it and love it. David, uh, in the Psalm, Psalm 119, loved the law. Not because he could keep it perfectly, as we'll see in a minute, but because he valued what it stood for. Number three, we measure faith by our attitude towards service. 
by our attitude towards service. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 say this, uh, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes, he is justified, and his faith, his faith is counted as righteousness. Um, here's a question. In our service, in our service to God, what do we hope to get by it? Are we working for wages? Right? He says if you're working for wages, it's works. It's not grace. Right? So why are you serving God? Why are you laboring? Why are you doing what, are, what you are doing? Why are you living your life in pursuit of what you're living for? Are you hoping to get some wage, some pay out of the deal? Uh, if so, uh, you've missed the point, right? If you're doing anything because you hope God will be impressed with you and will bless you more because of it, you are living under works, not through faith by grace, right? Uh, and this is a painful one for me because honestly, a lot of times, I'm doing it because I want something, right? I at least want a reward in heaven, right? I'm going to suffer this much here and now. I want to at least get some reward in heaven. And after all, doesn't the Bible say I'm going to get a reward in heaven? If not, I want my money back, right? Well, praise God, we will get rewards in heaven. How many of those rewards will you actually deserve? Hmm. None, right? Because any service that has value with God has value because of what Christ has done to put in you His righteousness. So whatever reward we get, whatever grace gifts that God gives us as a result, whatever fruit is produced through our life, wherever we have had the privilege of touching another human being and making an eternal difference in their life, is ultimately something God has done by grace. And we have accomplished it through a walk of faith, not by our own human achievement. Right? Um, and to illustrate it, you know, you can kind of imagine like this. We, we are to serve. Okay? We are to serve. We are to labor for God. We're to give up our life to Him. But this should be the motive. It should be one of overflowing gratitude that because God has given us such incredible grace and forgiveness that we... We long to give back to him. Uh, picture it like this. I want you to picture your favorite all-time hero. It can't be Jesus, okay? As spiritual as that is. I want, I want like an earthly human hero. It could be, you know, rock star, movie star, president of your country, or not. Um, uh, uh, an author, uh, Billy Graham, I don't know, somebody. Okay, pick your hero. Uh, I'll pick Billy Graham for sake of argument. Uh, okay, imagine that you, 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 you've been a fan of this person. Uh, you've admired their work. You've been impressed with their accomplishments. And you have followed. You've been a fan for, for your whole life, right? And uh, you subscribe to their blog. You're, you're a friend. You get tw- tweets, you know. You're a Facebook fan. You're, you're, you admire this person, right? And out of the blue one day, this person calls you and says, Hey, you know, Tim, I'm, I'm coming to Chiang Mai and I hear that, that you know, you're a fan. And I was just wondering if I could come and maybe like hang out at your house and I'd like to get to know you. And maybe you could introduce me to some of your friends, put on like a dinner 
and uh, you know, and 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 have host a dinner where I could meet some of your friends. Now, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say, um, how much are you gonna give me for this? <laughs> Probably not, right? You're gonna you're gonna invite every person you know, especially if this person's famous, because you want them to meet your friend. And you're gonna you're gonna work, you're gonna labor hard, you're going to serve, you're gonna do everything you can to make a great meal for this person, Billy Graham or whoever. And you're gonna invite I'm gonna invite everybody I know in Chiang Mai, because I want them to know, yeah, me and Billy, we're friends, right? We're 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 like this. You know, he's coming to my house. And and you know, you can come too. Okay. I, I'm gonna wanna ma- I'm gonna do this all out, right? Uh because not because of what I get, but because my admiration for this person, for my, my pure joy and thrill that they would take interest in me and would be willing to meet my friends, right? Well, isn't that how it should work with Jesus? That Jesus has uh, said, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. And guess what? You can invite all your friends and I'll eat with them too, right? Uh, that should be the motivation. I get to hang out with Jesus, and I get to share him with my friends. I get to introduce Jesus, my, my king and my friend, to, to the world. Right? That should be the motivation because of my love for him, not because I get something out of it. Do I get something out of it? Tons, tons. Incredible joy, incredible privilege of being with Christ. Right? but I do it in a, in a gift of gratitude and service to him. Last thing, uh, by our attitude of joy, verses 7 and 8, chapter 4, uh, maybe 6, 7, and 8. Just as David also spoke of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. There's that word again, credits righteousness apart from works. And he quotes from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Um, if you know anything about Psalm 32, you know that David wrote this psalm uh, most likely after his sin with Bathsheba and after he was confronted by, uh, by Nathaniel and, and uh, his guilt, his, uh, his conviction was eating him alive. And he talks in, in Psalm 32, he says, Day and night, your hand... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3. When I f- refused to confess my sins, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. A guy who was burdened by the pain and awfulness and guilt and shame of his sin. Right? And he says, Blessed, happy, joyful, glorious is the person who has his sins forgiven, whose sins are covered, right? to whom God does not charge, does not account against his, his credit, that sin. Right? It's kind of the opposite of uh, the accounting as Paul uses. But same principle. God doesn't charge the sin to our account. Right? We're, we're free. We're debt-free. Right? Joyful is that person. Last thing, we, we measure faith by our joyful attitude, by our attitude of joy. I could have said by our attitude of gratitude, but it's just I couldn't, I couldn't go there. I just couldn't do it. Uh, but it's true. Uh, we should be people who, if it's by faith, we know that what we got, we don't deserve. It is by God's incredible grace and kindness that he has forgiven us the debt of our sin. And so the dominating 
theme of our life, the, the, the attitude that should reflect how we are continually is one of great joy and blessedness. Wow, God, I praise you that I'm not good enough. I fail all the time, but you have not charged my failures against me. You've not held those things against me. Wow. I, I'm okay in your sight by your grace. Right? If it's by works, every failure is huge. Every failure brings shame and guilt and massive disappointment because I could not do it. But if it's by faith, I'm receiving God's gracious gift, freely given, undeserved and unmerited on my part. And I should be filled with joy because of that. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for your grace that it is a free gift you've given through what you have done for us that in, in your just and righteous ways you have made a way for us to, to step out from underneath the, the guilt and the penalty of sin through Christ. And the way we appropriate that is simply by believing by putting our faith and trust in your promise and in your word, that this is indeed what you have done and what you will do. And Lord, we, uh, we just pray that you'd help us to think through how we measure and evaluate our life. Um, and Lord, to just be very careful of the ways that we may evaluate on the standard of works, of our efforts, of our achievements, uh, which is really emphasizing in many ways the wrong thing. Uh, instead, Lord, that we would find ways to emphasize, to measure, to give attention to the increasing measure of our faith, the growing of our confidence in who you are and what you have done. And so, Father, we uh, just pray that your spirit would realign our thinking where it needs to be changed. Lord, that we would be people who pursue faith above all things as a starting point and ending point of our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.cctfth.org. Thank you.